Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yes, all morning we've been asking you what you think a boondoggle is and some of the guesses have been absolutely brilliant. But the lady with all the knowledge around the origins of words is back. It's time for more word fairy. This month, as the country opens up and restrictions are are lifted a little bit, we have an outdoor theme. So we're going to have words like paradise. Also, when you're out in a restaurant, you tip your waitress. Uh, So we've lots more besides. I'm delighted to be joined once again by author Grace Tierney from Stimullen. How are you doing, Grace? Morning, lovely to talk to you. Pretty it's raining. But. Uh, yeah, I know. And listen, I've had some fantastic suggestions for, for Boondoggle. Everything from the bits that hang off the back of a sheep when it's being sheared to uh, a waste of time and energy. But before we get into that, we are uh, celebrating being outdoors. Restrictions have lifted all of that. So we're, you know, we're in paradise, Grace. We're in paradise at the moment. And I know that the word paradise kind of means different things to different people. You know, people have a different idea of what paradise means. I mean, for me, somebody's idea of paradise could be having the house to themselves when their children and husband leave. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I can understand that one. (laughs) I'm still waiting for that to happen. Himself hasn't gone back to the office yet. Oh, yes. If he's listening now, get the hint, get the hint. Come on. She wants the house to herself. He does listen, actually. He knows I want him out. Bless him. He's been out in the garden lots to escape me. And I was looking out of the garden when I was thinking about paradise. Now I'm looking at it and it's lashing rain. But listen, we'll assume that it'll be a nice day tomorrow. So uh, you're right. Paradise describes an awful lot of different things. And it's quite an old word. So it's changed over time. But uh, so nowadays you'll use it something that's ideal, possibly the Garden of Eden or a heavenly abode for the worthy or whatever. But if you ask somebody to describe it, you'll get a billion different answers. The one that I quite like is an author called uh, Jorge Luis Borges. He says he always imagined paradise would be a kind of library. I can't imagine. Do you know what? That's really interesting because I read, I think it's Mark Hayes, uh, Haig's book, uh, Midnight Library. And oh, I read that recently too. Yes. Fantastic book. And there's very much that idea of, you know, when you say not fully pass over, but say you're in the in between and it's a library. Yes, I love that idea. Yeah. So maybe he stole it from Borges. Maybe he did. Maybe it was an inspiration <laughs> Um, but anyway, it's not technically a library. It comes more to the garden thing. So it's quite an old English word and it entered the language from the old French word paradis. So it's spelt the same without the E. They had it from Latin uh, where it was a park, orchard or garden of Eden. And they stole it from the Greeks uh, where it was paradisios. Uh, but they had borrowed it as well. So they took it from an Iranian source. Now, pardon my Iranian, but it's <laughs> Avastan paradisa 
which uh, translated as an enclosure or a park. So it's formed from two words, parry, which meant around, and diz, which meant a wall, to make a wall. So the core of the word is the idea that it is a walled or an enclosed piece of land. And the Greeks used to use it to describe an enclosed royal hunting ground that would have been in Persia or nowadays uh, Iran. So the name attached itself to the idea of the Garden of Eden and then became Muslim heaven and now has our own modern meanings. But it's actually an enclosed hunting ground. So the walled garden, paradise is the walled garden. Love it. And it's tying in nicely to us being outside in gardens and all the rest of it as well. Now, being outside, um, I've yet to experience outdoor dining, but I'm hoping to do it very, very soon. Hopefully, many people, when they are outdoor dining, they're going to leave a nice tip for the waitress. Uh, I think a waitress probably has one of the most hardest job out there. So where does the tipping of the waitress come from? Waiting is just a slog of a job. So, yeah, yeah. tip your wait staff because they haven't been paid for a long time. That's what I reckon. Um, yeah, tip is very debated in etymology world. Um, however, there's kind of a fun history to it. So we'll go through it even if we don't get a conclusive answer at the end. So short word, long history, and it's now used in lots of different ways. So you can um, you can strike something suddenly. You can knock something sort of off kilter, like tipping the scale, the tipping point. You can adorn the top of something with a tip. So to like tip a scarf or tip a spear or something. But you can also tip to say thank you for good service. And that's the one I'll focus on. So it entered English in that meaning roughly in the 1600s. And, but back then it was to give a small present of money and it had nothing to do with service. So you mm. could tip your child if you gave them a small present of money for summer holidays or, you know, or your friend, you might tip them to give them a little gift. The idea of associating it with service doesn't come up until 1706. It's very precise. It's unusual to have an actual year for things. So we're in 1706 because we're going to come back to it. So there's several different stories in multiple different books. Some of them basically slagging off the other book and going, oh, no, that's nonsense. So it's very confused. But they have, they reckon that it's an acronym, that it's TIP. So it's to improve promptness, to ensure promptitude and various different versions of that Um, but there's literally no proof that any of that is true and they do all flag each other off so it's likely to be what's called a folk etymology that people because it's short ascribe that meaning to it but that it actually had nothing to do with that and I think I know where it may have started from so if you're ever in London if we ever escape the country again you go to the Strand in the middle of London and there is a Twinings tea shop and it was founded there in 1706 what a coincidence. Ah, that yeah, is right a coincidence. Beside, okay. It is. It's, a, it's suspiciously coincidental in my opinion. <laughs> so beside their tea shop, which has been trading continuously there ever since, they have a small tea museum, which I think sounds like fun to visit. So I'm definitely going to go and see this the next time I'm in London. And along with their many exhibits about tea, they also have a nondescript wooden box labelled TIP. And they claim that that's an acronym for to ensure promptness. And the patrons of their tea house would drop a penny into the box to ensure quick service. And I think that's where this is all grown up from. I think they've been telling that story for 200 years, 200 plus years. And it's caught on and people have decided that must be true. Um, However, I do think, despite the small gift idea being there from the 1600s, it's possible that Mr. Twining, who founded that tea shop, might have been the first owner of a shop that suggested you tip your waitstaff. So he may have kind of gone, okay, look, here's the box, you know, Mm. you could give something to the staff. So he may have encouraged it. I'll give him that much. 
I love that. And, you know, but then I wondered, uh, I wonder where it comes in after, because normally you tip the wait staff after the service if it's been good, I suppose. But I love the oh, fact yeah. that, yeah, you know, it's a, the incentive true. to be a little bit quicker and, and more efficient and all that. That's fantastic. Love that. Um, now, moving on to a, a less savoury, uh, unscrupulous people. Uh, we're going to talk about unscrupulous people. Uh, this, so of course, like not, people without any morals. Isn't that really where this, th- that word means? That's it, yeah. They're amoral, they're dishonest or unfair to other people. And, you know, they're around, I suspect, from the beginning of time. Yes, well, they <laughs> but, are. <laughs> uh, but unscrupulous actually doesn't come into English until quite late. It, we don't get it until the early 1800s. But you do have scrupulous, which obviously is the opposite of that. It predates it by four centuries. So we had moral people first, I guess. <laughs> so scrupulous has two meanings. So the least used one is somebody who is concerned to avoid wrongdoing. So the literal opposite of unscrupulous. But the one that everybody is probably more familiar with is to be scrupulous with how you do things. So you're careful, thorough, you've got a good attention to detail. And scrupulous and ultimately unscrupulous gets to English via French, and sorry, Anglo-French, then French and then Latin, all very similar spellings. Um, but that led me to wonder, well, what the heck is a scruple then? Yeah, so yeah. a scruple is apparently a pang of conscience or a moral Ooh. qualm. And it goes back to the 1300s, but it was sort of invented by Cicero, who was a Roman statesman, a scholar, a lawyer and a philosopher. And this is where we get the garden link. He reckoned if you have a garden and a library, you have everything you need. Oh, he's a wise man. Yeah, he is. <laughs> so maybe a library in the garden, but not on a wet day. No. Um, and he came up with the idea of scruples from a, a, a Latin word called scrupus, which was a sharp stone or pebble. Now, I love this because I walk in sandals and I have this problem all the time. He said that the pricking of your conscience was like having a small stone in your shoe or sandal jabbing at you periodically as you progress through your day. That is great. And what, how annoying is that when that does happen? When a stone gets into your shoe or sandal? Yes, I love that. Very difficult to ignore and it's, would certainly sort of prick your conscience. So it was pricking your conscience, but not in a mental sense, but in a physical ouch every time you put your foot down. Love that. Love it. Now, the next one, the next two actually have me completely baffled. What on earth is a mundungus or dingus dungus, is it? Dungus, dungus, yeah. yeah. Maybe Mundungus might be a cousin. All right, I'm going to assume from that that it's a while since you've watched the Harry Potter movie. <laughs> okay, I wa- yeah, I don't, didn't have my Harry Potter brain switched on at all for that. <laughs> exactly. Well, not everybody's seen them, so I will explain. Um, I, I have decided already I'm probably never going to do a PhD, but if I ever do, it'll be on character names in Dickens and Harry Potter because both of the authors are just brilliant at coming up the names for their characters. So I've covered some of them on my Word Foolery blog before. So Dolores Umbridge is quite an unpleasant character. Her name links to sadness and to death. And Albus Dumbledore, who's Harry Potter's mentor, he's connected to light and to dawn. But today's character is Mundungus Fletcher. So he's a very minor character in one or two of the later movies. He's quite an unsavoury criminal, wide boy, kind of Londoner who'd steal everything from underneath you while you weren't, you wouldn't even notice what he was up to. Well, definitely with a name like that. I mean, the name doesn't say anything pleasant, does it? No, it doesn't imply anything pleasant. You wouldn't trust him with a name like that. Maybe you wouldn't know his name. He'd already have picked your pocket before you knew his name. (laughs) He, uh, Mundungus, it transpires, is actually a very old word for foul-smelling tobacco. And it was dates back to English in the 1600s when tobacco smoking was first becoming very normal in culture because of the plantations of tobacco in the New World. 
as the origin of the word though makes it even worse. I mean, nobody really likes tobacco smoke, but it gets worse. So the word mundungus is a borrowing by English from the Spanish word mondongo, and it describes a paunch, tripe, or intestine. Thanks to another word, mojejo, the belly of a pig. So uh, I'm not everybody knows what tripe is. So basically, it's a different word for stomach, uh, and sometimes people eat it. Not me personally. No, <laughs> definitely not. No, but it's quite popular with some people. Um, anyway, so all that means that basically if you call a person or your character in your novel Mundungus, then you're saying that they smell like a cross between a pig's stomach <laughs> and noxious tobacco fumes. <laughs> so I'm suggesting if you meet Mundungus, you do so outdoors. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'm getting a great message in uh, here. because. <laughs> Listen, Grace, we've had so many uh, crazy, crazy suggestions for this, right? For for Boondoggle. Johnny had suggested when you shear the sheep, it's the bits that hang off the back of the sheep. Somebody's saying here, Sinead, the bit that hangs off the back of the sheep when being sheared are called dangleberries to somebody here, which is great. Thank you so much for that. Um, Also, uh, yeah, people have kind of been saying... um, you know, uh, wasteful, uh, somebody that's a time waster. Somebody thought it was a brilliant idea. I thought it was something an Australian person might say when, you know, they were puzzled by something. Ah, an Australian puzzle. That was your guess. Yeah. You're very good not to Google it. No, no. I know you do sometimes. No, I didn't. I didn't now. I didn't good. Google. Uh, there was some Googling going on in the text. We're not looking at you, Maureen, on 0861800658. But uh, what does it mean? Put us out of our misery here now. In fairness, Maureen might not have Googled. She might actually from a, have some cousins in another country that might have helped. So some okay. of these, in fairness, are, they're not common to us in English, but they are in different versions. Okay, so boondoggle is actually a pretty well-known term in North American English, but not in British or Irish English. So it is, correctly guessed, Maureen, an unnecessary, wasteful or fraudulent project. Okay, so we were right with the wasteful and fraudulent as well, okay. Oh yeah, oh there's a whole load of shade thrown at Boondoggle. <laughs> um, and interestingly it has a connection to Boy Scouts, so I, I found that one interesting. So, uh, Oh actually somebody back. said here, yeah, um, uh-huh. used by, this, sorry I'm just getting this, used by Boy Scouts, uh, what we call a toggle. You're on the right track. Ah, okay. Well done, well done, okay. I was wondering would anybody get it through that actually. Um Okay, so it entered American English in the 1930s. There's been a debate about exactly how early. Um, But it was a term for pointless kind of what my mother would call make work. So a make work project for unemployed during the New Deal era and also as a Boy Scout woven braid. And it turns out the two things are kind of interconnected. So I I was very lucky I found somebody who'd really researched this. So I am borrowing of their work. Thank you very much, Christopher. Um, It appears that the American Boy Scouts um, invented boondoggling during the late 1920s as a word to describe the knotting and braiding that they do on camp, I don't see, um, to create colourful lanyards, neckerchief woggles and bracelets. So uh, if anybody's ever seen a scout and they have their little scarf around the neck, that's called a neckerchief, and you hold it together with a thing called a woggle, which is circular. Um, And it's usually braided from like parachute cord or from leather or something like that. So if you were making one of those, you'd be boondoggling. Okay. I knew the woggle thing. Uh, You know, you just reminded me when you said it as well. But yes, very interesting. Yeah, and Wagga was invented by an Australian scout, so you were maybe channeling okay. that with your guess. We'll <laughs> say you were. <laughs> okay. Grace, um, you're too kind. <laughs> but, uh, boondoggling actually has a cool uh, link to uh, 
uh, President Franklin D. Roosevelt. So bear with me while I explain this. One. Oh, yeah. Okay, so boondogging was something you'd know if you were a scout, but you would not have known outside of that circle at all until April 1935. So the New York Times did a big report on a federal program which had spent $3 million, quite a lot of money back then. They were at the end of the Great Recession and all that kind of thing, so they don't have a lot of money to spend. And they've been training hundreds of unemployed teachers in skills such as ballet, shadow puppets, and making boondoggles. The concept was to train the teachers to set up schemes in poor neighbourhoods to show children how to convert discarded items into useful gadgets. So it's kind of early recycling and an outreach programme to the disadvantaged youth. Nowadays, probably seen quite positively, I suspect, um, but it was painted as a waste of money by the critics in the paper. And admittedly, classes in ballet and how to run a circus would have been kind of difficult to justify in the middle of the Great Depression. However, Franklin D. Roosevelt, the current president, defended that idea the next year, saying, if we can boondoggle our way out of the depression, that word is going to be enshrined in the hearts of Americans for many years to come. And he was a big supporter of the Boy Scouts, and I suspect he may have actually seen boondoggling at camps that he would have attended in that uh, way of doing things. But the modern dictionary says that did not work. His hope was forlorn because he records boondoggle only as a pointless waste of time and money. Ah, uh, no. I think we need to... Let's bring it back. Let's bring it... Let's boondoggle our way out of things. You want to boondoggle. Well, I want to boondoggle. With you. <laughs> a string and you've got all you need. <laughs> I you love it. You'll definitely get things. Oh, Grace, as always, thank you so much for such an insight into the origin behind these words. And it's so, so interesting, as you know, every month to have you. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. You're very welcome. Nice to talk to you, Thanks a million.